Maverick News presents The Rick Walker Show Defrag Your Mind Hello everybody, I'm Rick Walker. Welcome back to the Maverick News Channel. Hello Maverick family and new viewers from all over the globe. Great to have everybody back tonight. Uh, breaking news on the financial front. The Securities and Exchange Commission has approved ETFs for Bitcoin. But there's a whole other layer to that story that goes back to yesterday and it involves a hack. I'll tell you all about it. And did you know that Rumble is under investigation by the Securities and Exchange Commission? We'll tell you about that tonight, too. More fallout from the arrest of Rebel News reporter David Menzies by the RCMP yesterday and two different points of view on that. One from the mainstream media and the other from, well, people, ordinary folks. Uh, what else do we have? This We have this story that we reported on this. Oh, man, it's got to be a couple of months ago now. This mysterious sex trap operation that has been operating or was operating in Boston and Washington, D.C. Well, they're still investigating and will tell you what they think it might have been or maybe is. And if you think that the Epstein situation is isolated, think again. Also, we uh, have ongoing conflict in the uh, in the Red Sea with uh, the Houthis continuing to attract uh, attack rather merchant vessels. We have um, mounting pressure on the Canadian government to back up South Africa in its bid to have Israel charged with genocide. And that is polarizing people even further and also polarizing Canada's members of parliament. The two, oh, Tupac. The guy suspected, um, or one of the guys is suspected in the, the murder of Tupac, he's on house arrest. I'm surprised, honestly, that somebody with, well, I'll, we'll talk about it. I, I, won't, I won't get into it now. We'll, we'll save, I'll save my, my narrative or my comments for later. A ton of cocaine seized by the U.S. Coast Guard. We have... Elon Musk commenting on quality control over at Boeing in the aftermath of 
that window blowing out of that jet. And Chris Christie looks like he's ready to pack it in, drop out of the race for the Republican nomination that uh, really leaves only a handful of challengers to Donald Trump. In the media, the establishment seems to want either DeSantis or Nikki Haley. But I'll tell you this, that Vivek Ramaswamy, he's on fire, that guy. Talk about uh, sharp wit. He's a smart guy. Keep your eye on him. We certainly will. And we'll talk about all that and more when we come back on the other side of this. Greetings, brave mavericks. Our quest for truth continues. We go beyond fake news. Together we expose propaganda. Together we pull others out of rabbit holes. We are maverick thinkers. We are all unique individuals, individuals, defenders of individual rights and freedoms. Credible, trusted, grounded in reality. Maverick News, Maverick News. Defending free speech, free speech, speech. Donate at freedomreporters.com. Do it now. Tomorrow. Maybe too late. Too late. Too late. Too late. Maverick News. The world is watching. So where do we begin? Well, how about with this? The latest in financial news and a significant move, the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission has given its nod to the first U.S. listed exchange traded funds designed to track Bitcoin. This announcement made by SEC Chair Gary Gensler marks a pivotal moment for the world's largest cryptocurrency and the wider crypto industry. The SEC has approved applications from major players such as BlackRock, ARK Investments, 21 Shares, Fidelity, Invesco, and VanEck, among others. Some of these ETFs are expected to hit the trading floor as early as Thursday. This is fresh 
fresh news just announced these products a decade in the making represent a game changer for Bitcoin. They offer both institutional and retail investors exposure to the world's largest cryptocurrency without the need to directly hold it, providing a significant boost to an industry that has faced its share of challenges and scandals. Analysts from Standard Chartered suggest that these ETFs could attract anywhere from $50 billion to $100 billion in inflows this year alone, potentially propelling the price of Bitcoin to as high as $100,000. Other analysts provide a more conservative estimate of around $55 billion over the next five years. Andrew Bond, Managing Director and Senior FinTech Analyst at Rosenblatt Securities, sees this development as a huge positive for the institutionalization of Bitcoin as an asset class. He believes that the approval of ETFs will further legitimize Bitcoin in the financial market. So as of the latest data, Bitcoin is up 1%. At 46,515, some analysts speculate that the market may have already factored in the approval news, considering Bitcoin's surge of more than 70% in recent months in anticipation of an ETF. It, uh, it recently hit its highest level since March of 2022, earlier this week. The SEC's approval represents a notable U-turn given its decade-long reluctance to greenlight Bitcoin ETFs due to concerns about potential manipulation. SEC Chair Gensler, known for his skepticism about cryptocurrencies, stated that uh, the approval is the most sustainable path forward in light of a federal appeals court ruling last year. In celebration of this news, Grayscale CEO Michael Sonnenshine expressed excitement about democratizing access to Bitcoin through a U.S.-regulated investment vehicle. Douglas Jonas, head of exchange-traded products at the New York Stock Exchange, where some of these products will be listed, considers this approval a significant milestone for the ETF industry. Now, this is what's happening today. But I'm more interested, honestly, in a way, in what happened yesterday. And that is when someone managed to hack into the security, secu Securities and Exchange Commission's X account, at which point they posted a bogus announcement saying that Bitcoin, the Bitcoin ETFs had been approved. It wasn't true. This is focusing new, new, new attention on the security uh, surrounding the SEC Twitter slash X account. It 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 doesn't <laughs> doesn't make me feel very confident in the way they operate over there at the SEC. Quite honestly because they didn't have two-factor authentication activated on the phone that someone 
apparently was able to get into, according to uh, the, the, the security folks over at X, somebody managed to get a hold of the phone number associated with the Twitter or X account. And because two-factor authentication wasn't activated, they were able to hack into the account. As a result of that social media post yesterday, Bitcoin prices spiked. But it was manipulation. And now it's my understanding that the FBI is investigating. Don't know who it was. Still don't have information on any potential suspects. We'll see if there's a digital trail back to the perpetrator. But I'll tell you this, you would think that the folks over at the SEC controlling that social media account would have at least had two-factor authentication set up, especially given that, well, given what they do, given what the organization is, and given that they deal with financial stuff, security absolutely should be top of mind, a priority always. But I guess not. Pretty loosey-goosey over there. Anyway, the, the account's been recovered. And then when today's announcement was made, just moments ago, honestly, which was the announcement that was made yesterday, but now made today officially, but yesterday it wasn't. So it just came early. And now we have that. Oops. That. And that uh, posted on the actual SEC Twitter. I keep calling it Twitter X. I hate that they've changed the name because now I have to you always have to say, on X, formerly known as Twitter, it's like it's like dealing with Kanye West, uh, the artist uh, formerly known as Prince. Uh, Kanye West, now known just as Ye. Twitter, former Twitter, now known as X, or X, formerly known as Twitter. Well, now you have Bitcoin ETFs. So if you have Bitcoin, I would imagine there will be a bit of a, an increase in the value because these ETFs will increase demand for Bitcoin and that will drive the price up because you have now these major players, major financial companies Entering the game in a bigger way. We'll see how that goes. I don't know. To me, and you know, this this gives me in my in my mind when I'm when I sort of sit and close my eyes, and I wasn't alive in the 1920s, but this to me has a I hear echoes of the 1920s, the roaring 20s. Uh, it, it, and, and then I know what came after. The big crash. 
stock market crash in the 30s and we had the dirty 30s, the depression. Now, I'm not saying it's just like it's not not, not necessarily about Bitcoin. It's just everything. Um, it's uh, I just see similarities here financially. And when they start creating these financial products, right? It, uh, it changes the dynamics of everything. Bitcoin was originally set up as a, a financial vehicle, a, a means of exchange, uh, an alternative to conventional fiat currencies, a currency for the people. But, and, you, you know, there was a limited supply. There's digital online mining that takes place. So there's only a, uh, there's a, a, def a definitive quantity that ever enters the market. So it can't be manipulated the way fiat currencies can be by governments or the Federal Reserve simply by printing more money. But now when you start adding these different vehicles in into the into the mix, it changes the dynamics quite a bit. So these guys have these ETFs. They don't actually have to hold Bitcoin, which is just a digital concept energy in the cloud or whatever. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Um, in, in my opinion, a lot of these financial vehicles, different crazy financing concepts that these financial gurus come have come up with in order to uh i would say fuel the economy in various ways uh, a lot of this stuff is smoke and mirrors it has been in the past and it's that kind of stuff that ultimately sort of leads to more economic instability that is really the definition of capitalism it's the manipulation of capital or money and even the manipulation of physical capital, which represents value and money. And so when you have these financial guys who really don't produce anything tangible in terms of, you know, physical products or services that benefit people, that is just manipulation of money. It's, uh, it's, it's just, that's the stuff that causes crazy things to happen in the marketplace ponzi schemes it goes on anyway i won't get too much more into that stuff because it remains to be seen how these etfs will affect the bitcoin market in general i just get uneasy about it all um also tonight we're seeing growing pressure on the Canadian government to join South Africa's effort to have Israel charged with genocide. We'll tell you all about it when we come back on the other side of this.
Maverick News. The world is watching. The New World Order. Government Overreach. The Great Reset. Mainstream Media Lies. Now more than ever. Independent voices are needed. Donate now. At freedomreporters.com. That's freedomreporters.com. Maverick News. The antivirus program for your mind. All right. So here's the deal. Liberal members of parliament divided tonight about what the position should be for Canada with regard to South Africa's push to have Israel prosecuted for genocide because of its actions in Gaza. So far, really no response from the Trudeau government. This is all being dealt with at the International Court of Justice. It will start a hearing Thursday in which South Africa is arguing that Israel's widespread bombardment of Gaza is genocidal in character. They're saying that Israel has a clear intent to destroy Palestinians in Gaza as a group. I've listened to arguments on both sides of this. And it's an issue of definition and evidence. And it's my opinion that the word genocide generally, and I'm not just talking about here, generally the word genocide is used too broadly, too often. It diminishes its impact and its meaning. And when it's really needed, it, it, it generally is losing its weight. To me, and I, I, not everyone may share my view on what a genocide is, but you can define it any way you want, I suppose. But to me, a genocide is a concerted effort to literally exterminate a group or uh, of people based on religion or ethnicity, or maybe even just beliefs, but an identifiable group, it's an effort to basically exterminate them, wipe them out, wipe them off the face of the planet. That is what a genocide is. For instance, in World War II, the Holocaust definitely would qualify as a genocide, and the Nazis had genocidal intent because if they had been able to get access to all the Jews in other parts of the world beyond 
the areas that the Nazis in World War II controlled, they, it appears, they would have taken steps to exterminate them all. Does this situation rise to that level? Well, it, that's for the international court to determine, and that will depend on the evidence. And whether there's a conviction will depend on how the court chooses to define or interpret the laws or the law or agreement that was struck, I believe, in 1948 that Israel signed on to at the time. Israel says that what South Africa is doing is disgusting. That's their official response to it. The Canadian government has not expressed a position on the case so far. Foreign Affairs Minister Melanie Jolie's office has not yet provided an, a response. We will see where this goes. Today, there was a news conference held online. And uh, as part of that, the focal point of it was a statement made by South Africa's envoy to Canada. This is the South African High Commissioner, Relaz Sheikh. I'll bring this up and pick up his comments here. Obviously, this at the moment is the most emotional, volatile issue probably in the world. And these guys are driving it straight home to Trudeau, the Canadian government. And you can draw, make up your own mind on this issue with help from what you're about to see here in this online statement. My statement, we live in the times of catastrophe. We either as individuals, communities, organizations, or states are called upon by the troubles of our time, now more than ever, to assert our common and shared humanity. In our endeavors to find a path to that shared humanity, we would do well to heed the wisdom of the ancient sage Rumi, who said, out beyond the ideas of wrongdoing and right doing, there is a field. I will meet you there. This is a field of human understanding. This is a field of human love, compassion, empathy, and justice, all of which constitutes the hallowed ground of our shared humanity. Arriving at this field of understanding, bring forth the living expression of the African humanist value, umuntu, umuntu, gabantu, which means a person is a person through other people. I am because you are. In asserting my right to live, I must first assert your right to life. Arriving at this field of our shared humanity means to embrace the philosophy of the Dakota people of North America, Mitakuye Oyasin, that embodies the universal truth that all are related. Indeed, 
In our shared humanity, we are all related. The wisdom of Rumi, the beliefs in the truism that we are all related and that I am because you are, compels us all as human beings to make haste, more so because of the troubles of our times to that hallowed ground of our shared humanity. The government of South Africa and its application to the International Court of Justice has made clear its intention to uphold its obligation to our shared humanity as a signatory to the Convention on the Prevention and Punishment of the Crime of Genocide. To this end, we have instituted proceedings against the State of Israel for its military actions and intentions directed against the Palestinian people. We have done so firm in our conviction that the state of Israel's conduct against the Palestinian people may amount to genocide. We have done so in keeping with our obligations of the convention as a positive step to prevent genocide. We ask the World Court to hold the state of Israel accountable for its own obligation to prevent genocide. In keeping with the terms of the convention, we have requested an order of the court for urgent, necessary provisional measures, which includes inter alia, the binding on obligation of the state of Israel to immediately suspend its military operations in and against Gaza. South Africa has heard the unbearable cries of anguish of the innocent from the kidding fields of Gaza and broader Palestine. We mourn the deaths of all civilians, both Palestinian and Israeli, who have lost their lives in this senseless conflict. We must act to bring this brutal, systematic and organized killing of Palestinian civilians to an immediate and urgent end. To do, not to do so, is to negate our shared humanity and to violate our deeply held values of Ubuntu. By our action, we raise our voice beyond the binary ideas of right doing and wrong doing to shout for all to hear, stop the killing, not one more day, stop now. We have acted in this manner, not only because of the wisdom of the ancient sages, or to our legal, moral, and ethical obligation to do so. But we also believe that this is the most viable and immediate path to peace. For far too long, we have ignored the prayer of the Palestinian people to be seen, to be heard, and to be recognized for who they are, to live as a people in the land of their birth, free from the fear of oppression, occupation, and want. For far too long, we have ignored the pleas of the Palestinian people to assert their right to self-determination. Our shared humanity must demand from all of us to hear their prayer and pleas. This is the challenge of our time, and for the sake of all humanity, we must act. We as South Africans, whose lived experience has been shaped by centuries of apartheid, know precisely the lived reality of apartheid. We have lived apartheid and we have suffered apartheid. We know apartheid when we see apartheid. 
We are therefore comfortable in our knowledge that none dare contradict us when we assert that the lived reality of all Palestinians today is nothing short of the dehumanization of an apartheid life. Apartheid, as we all know, is a crime against humanity. In bringing our application before the World Court, we make no demand that others should join us. Each country must examine their own conscience in the cold light of all that we see occurring daily and relentlessly in Gaza. Each country must find comfort in their own understanding of what it means to be, what it means to be human and determine for themselves their contribution to our shared humanity. We can only but humbly ask that in doing so, that they too embrace the wisdom that we are all related and that I am because you are. As a country and people represented by our government, we as South Africans have made our choice. We have walked to that field of human understanding with our fearful but resolute courage in a manner consistent with our consciousness that rallies behind the clarion call of the Convention to Prevent Genocide. We do so urgently. And we ask forgiveness for not acting sooner. Thank you. And the news conference went on. And yes, there is mounting pressure on the Canadian government to pick a side. So I don't know where it's going to go. The whole thing is a mess. Stay with me. Maverick News. The world is watching. Okay, I'm back, and it looks like Chris Christie is set to drop out of the 2024 presidential race. Christie, of course, is the former New Jersey governor. And it looks like, well, the word we're getting is that he plans to suspend his presidential campaign if he hasn't already. In fact, he it's imminent if he hasn't done it already. Let me just see if he... If the announcement has come down. Breaking news. Yep, it's a done deal. He is gonzo. 
He's out of here. Chris Christie. So that is adios, muchachos and muchachas. <laughs> he was a long shot. I told you he didn't stand a chance. Right from the very beginning, nobody in the MAGA base wanted him. He just came out swinging and criticizing Donald Trump, and he was toast from the beginning. That's not even worth pulling up the clip because uh, he was inconsequential from the beginning. What can I tell you? What else we got for you tonight? We have uh, Michelle Ferrari, member of parliament, conservative, asking, why are we giving safe supply to minors? She says this is the number one cause of death in kids aged 10 to 18 in British Columbia. She's And she's asking the question, what the heck is happening? Here, she's posted this online. Let me just uh, share this with you. Here we go. Here's Michelle. Death in children aged 10 to 18 in British Columbia is opioids. 10 years old. What 10 year old is accessing safe supply? These are stories we're being told to help us feel better that we're doing something. Nothing is being done because if something was being done, these numbers wouldn't be going up. They'd be going down. People would be living drug free. They would be living a life of recovery. 10 to 18. If that doesn't shock you. Then I don't know what would. And this was shocking, as we saw earlier this week, when Rebel News reporter David Menzies was arrested for approaching Canada's Deputy Prime Minister and Finance Minister, Christian Freeland. Well, now... There's been, uh, you know, something of a development on the the police front. I'll just run this clip for you again to show you again what happened. Mr. Freeland, how come the IRDC is not a terrorist group? Why is your government supporting Islamo-Nazis? What? what are you doing? You're under arrest for assault. Why are you booking me? You're under arrest for assault. You're under arrest for assault. Police, you're under arrest. How am I under arrest? You bumped into me. You pushed into me. You bumped, I was just scrubbing. I got my credentials here and you just bumped into me. So, excuse Police, me. you're under arrest. What is your name pushing? in your badge? What is your name in your badge? You've been told you're under arrest. Why am I under arrest? He, 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 he blocked my way. I was just screaming, uh, Christian Freeland. I'm a, I'm a police officer. You're under arrest. What is your name in your badge? I'm assaulting a police officer. How is that possible? Okay. Because you assaulted me three years ago when blackface on track. You mean I was asking questions aggressively? No, your actions were. 
Lincoln, you got this on video, right? He's saying I'm pushing people over. That, that, that's an absolute falsehood. So now it appeared that way. That's what you're saying, officer? It appeared that was pushing people. I wasn't. I didn't touch a single person. That was a little bit aggressive for what was happening. Get that. You got it. You're under arrest. Please okay. take the microphone out of my face. Well, I, I'd like a, I'd like so an ongoing record of this. Can I have the microphone? Can I have the microphone? Can I have the microphone? Can you give? Why am I under arrest? I'm just doing my job. I'm resisting. You don't need to resist. Sir. I don't have. You don't have to say anything. You want? You know the. You know. You know the drill. I have nothing to hide, sir. Welcome to Blackfaces Canada. This is what they do to journalists. I was merely scrumming Minister Freeland and a RCMP officer blocked me. And evidently this is now a trumped up charge of assault folks. I didn't come here to cause any trouble. I came here to do my job and now I'm handcuffed. This, this is your Canada now folks. You know, this is the Gestapo taking blackface's orders. Outrageous. And meanwhile, the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps is not a terrorist organization, is not a terrorist organization. And these liberals have the audacity to show up at a vigil for, uh, for a plane in which almost 200 people were killed, 57 Canadians, one unborn child, by the way. And look at this. They don't want, it is against the law in Blackfaces Canada to ask insensitive questions, impolite questions. So a, gov a Canadian government that props up an Islamo-fascist regime, that's okay. But if you ask questions about that, uh, that's not okay. This is an absolute outrage. I didn't come here to cause trouble, folks. I just came here to ask questions. You're going to have to back up a little Apparently, bit, okay? They're conducting an That's my cameraman, sir. He's not doing anything. No, I just want to provide some space so that everybody's safe here, okay? So today, well, actually, yeah, it was today, uh, overnight. I don't know what the timeline was on it, but there was a panel on CBC television. They were discussing this. And, man, I just, pretty typical, making accusations against Rebel News that they were just, this is just clickbait, that this was sort of, routine operating procedure for rebel news i'm paraphrasing what i heard during that panel accusing rebel news of just using this kind of thing to generate donations well this incident isolated from that video just looking at what happened very clear to me the david menzies was not being physically aggressive or even verbally aggressive. He was just doing his job. I've been in situations like that myself and I was never arrested. I would never aggressively approach anyone or physically assault anyone doing my job like that and he didn't. And to accuse Rebel News of just using this as a way to generate donations, they have to. They don't get government money. Legal challenges 
are very expensive. So I understand why they ask for donations online. I ask for donations. We need support here too. We're independent. We get nothing from the government, zero. We get nothing from the social media platforms except for Rumble, where we are monetized. But I can tell you that uh, a thousand views generates maybe a dollar, a dollar fifty, maybe. That's how much it pays. I won't be retiring on this. It doesn't cover, it doesn't even begin to cover anywhere near the expenses. Uh, it's just insane. YouTube totally demonetized, nothing on Facebook. We we just throttled and they've they've destroyed our subscription base from Facebook. It's they they just don't let us get any reach over there anymore. Um and all the pages were banned except for now my own personal Facebook page, which we are broadcasting on tonight, but beyond that. Now, the other development um, on the David Menzies front is that we have received word uh, as of overnight, and I did post on social media with regard to this, the RCMP apparently is reviewing the entire matter. And they are... And that review includes a review of the officer's actions. In my opinion, based on the video evidence right there, David Menzies didn't assault anyone. But of course, if you bump into an officer, that could be, uh, that, that could constitute assault. Because as I said yesterday, just touching someone can meet the legal definition of assault. That David was looking at the finance minister and deputy prime minister as he was walking. The officer was standing in his way and stepped forward with his arm stretched out. I don't even know if they made contact. If they did, it's because the officer was in the way and may have actually stepped into David Menzies. That's the way I saw it. And David Menzies wasn't knocking anybody over, pushing anybody over. This, as I said yesterday, the real tragedy in this is that this further erodes public confidence and trust in policing, in police services in this country. At a time when we can ill afford any further erosion of that public confidence and trust. This is terrible. What that officer did there, I don't, I don't think, he, he probably doesn't realize how much more damage he has done. The, uh, the, the real negative, negative repercussions from this. I don't think he probably, probably doesn't understand the gravity of it. You know, the other thing, uh, I, I've been thinking about this more and more, and I have referenced this even prior to this incident. These politicians, Trudeau, Freeland, senior members of the Canadian government, where is their protection 
there she is, Deputy Prime Minister. She's, I would say, Canada's equivalent to a vice president. Okay? Deputy Prime Minister and Finance Minister. Two roles she plays. She's just walking down the sidewalk. No cops around her. Coming into a public event. I see her on the street, walking around in Ottawa, sometimes with no police very close to her at all. And here it was, he was able to just walk right up to her onto the side, on the sidewalk. If they're concerned about her safety, as this officer appears to be, well, then why weren't they closer to her? Why weren't they surrounding her like bodyguards as she's coming into this public event for, it was a memorial service for that jet that was blown out of the sky by Iran. Killing over 170 people on board, including 55 Canadians. 55 or 50? 55. 30 of them permanent residents, as I recall. Why aren't they surrounding her? You know, it's the same thing with Trudeau. He has that uh, security detail with him all the time. And yet, isn't it interesting, and I've said this several times in the past, how they're allowing him to just kind of walk right out into the center of angry uh, angry protesters at times, where he walks up and poses for selfies with some people who support him, but also mixed into the crowd are some very, very angry and agitated, animated protesters shouting at him, screaming, with things at a fever pitch. I've said this before, man. It's almost like they, they're they baiting the people by throwing the, the Trudeau meat at them, hoping, just hoping that they pounce because that would really kind of give somebody, I think, maybe what they want. A real assault. And then... Prime Minister JT or Christopher Freeland can not only play the martyr, but also point at their political opponents and say, you see, I told you what they are. And then you have a bigger incident on your hand and it blows up into more things. And whether it's, uh, you know, and it would escalate to a point much, much higher than what we saw uh, a fever pitch unlike what we've ever seen, way beyond what we saw when the pebbles were tossed at the prime minister during that last election campaign. And I, I, want, I want to see more security around these politicians. They're not taking it seriously enough. All it takes is one crazy person Somebody jacked up, maybe manipulated some way or just mentally ill to do something really stupid and bring harm to one of these politicians. You, they, they, as, and from what I've been seeing, man, they are not taking the security serious enough. Those cops standing over by the door, why weren't they providing more cover for her anyway? You know, and, and because they weren't, David Menzies did nothing inappropriate. He just walked up to her on the sidewalk in a public place and asked her some questions. That's fair. And it's legal. 
And he didn't touch her. He didn't assault her. He wasn't being aggressive. He was just scrumming her. But that being said, in this day and age, given the political environment that we're in, those politicians should not be left unaccompanied in a public place like that. You don't know who might walk up and do something. Especially the prime minister and her, the deputy prime minister. Now, I want to see them turfed from office. I want to see, personally, because of what they've done in terms of violating people's rights and freedoms in this country, I would prefer to see a different government. That's my personal opinion. I've expressed that. I always will try to be fair in my coverage of these stories, but I don't want to see harm come to any of them or any politician at all, regardless of their political stripe. And I sure don't want to see any physical harm come to them because not only would it be bad for them, it would be bad, really bad politically for the country as well. And it will distort, it will distort the whole political argument. Then the, then the focus is shifts to the violence instead of the real issues facing the country, the issues that affect Canadians day to day, the economy, immigration, unemployment, the deindustrialization and outsourcing of our industries, natural resources, mining, The list goes on. Housing crisis. Let's not make the next election about who threw pebbles at the prime minister. Let's keep it focused on the issues, the serious issues. And let's keep these guys, let's keep everybody safe, right? And while we're at it, Let's make sure that journalists are allowed to do their jobs properly. All this stuff, like I said yesterday, man, it has got to stop. Exile. The Knights of Malta. Maverick News. Join us. The world is watching. All right, when we're going to come back now to talk a little bit more about the Securities and Exchange Commission. I don't think I mentioned this, but uh, Rumble the free speech video platform that we are becoming increasingly dependent upon because we're getting throttled and banned and censored and so on on all the other social media platforms. It's under investigation by the SEC. Many reports out tonight regarding this. It's under investigation by the United States Securities and Exchange Commission. I think it was wired 
that broke this story. And uh, the SEC has confirmed that there is an investigation ongoing after public a public records request by a news organization. And I believe that organization was wired or is wired back in November. It had denied the request on the grounds that an active and ongoing inquiry was taking place in relation to the company. And then the response, uh, the response followed claims made against the company, including that it allegedly inflated certain metrics. Rumble has denied the charge. So the founder, one of the founders of the company, Chris Pavlovsky, took to X, formerly known as Twitter, saying that the report was bogus. He says that the company has proof from Google Analytics that the numbers that it has posted with regard to views and the number of active users and so on um, are accurate. In fact, here's the post on Twitter, which you can probably see here. He says, the playbook to try and destroy Rumble. A short seller creates a bogus report and sends it to the SEC. The SEC investigates the bogus report. Then the short seller talks to the media to get a story about how the SEC is investigating the report that started with him. And then it goes on from there. The bottom line is, Pavlovsky is saying that someone is trying to manipulate the stock price of Rumble. Company that I believe has assets somewhere around $54 million, something in that range. I also did a little digging and I found out that so far to date, the company has not been profitable, but it's expanding at a rapid pace, generating more and more and more views. They now generate somewhere around 31 million views a month. That's still a fraction of what YouTube generates. YouTube generating now somewhere, in, I don't know, it's in the billions of views. So Rumble has a long way to go to catch up. That's also why Rumble doesn't really provide any kind of a payout that makes it anywhere near worthwhile to do what you do. Now, people can donate through the Rumble rants. So a lot of creators do generate some income that way. But overall, there's just no money in it at all. So... It'll continue to grow, though, and it doesn't matter. The important thing is that the messaging gets out and we're not censored over there. So go to Rumble and subscribe if you haven't already. Please consider doing that. Also, like, share, subscribe over on YouTube. Hit the notification bell if you do subscribe on YouTube. We're fired up and rocking and rolling on our main channel again tonight on YouTube following a week-long ban over there. Proud of that. <laughs> and on my, uh, I think it's my Rick Walker channel. We're on, on there tonight as well. And I've been able to sort of repurpose uh, a different account. 
we're not fine. We're not uh, broadcasting on there tonight. We weren't able to get that one connected, but sometimes we're broadcasting on another channel that I will tell you more about another evening. We've been we've been on there though from time to time. Please like, share, subscribe. Really uh, helps us out a lot. And if you do want to support the channel, you can do that by donating at maverickdonations.com. You can also donate through this URL, this website address, which takes you to this donation page at freedomreporters.com. And we still have some of these hoodies. Still some of these Maverick news hoodies. So yeah, if anybody donates $60 or more, I'll send you one of these, no charge. No extra charge. 60 bucks and I'll send you a Maverick hoodie, $60 or more for a donation. We also have t-shirts too. So um, $30 would cover the cost of that, uh, including all the shipping and everything. So uh, 30 bucks if you just want a t-shirt, just when you make the donation, tell me what size you want and you can have it in any color you want, as long as it's black. So there you go. That's where we're at with all of that tonight. And um, as a result of that SEC investigation and the the news about that, um, Rumble shares tanked. So I hope that doesn't have any kind of long-lasting negative impact on the operation there, because honestly, we need it. My take on it is that given what where we're at right now, heading into this U.S. presidential election in 2024, and very likely, in my view, a federal election in Canada that will probably happen somewhere around the same time as the U.S. presidential election. I'm saying probably sometime in the fall. I think they're coming after Rumble because they would like to put pressure on the platform and maybe even get it shut down. That's my take. It's interesting, though, that they've allowed Trump, you know, within the last, what, six months or so, to sort of slowly come back online on these social media platforms, and they become more tolerant of certain subjects that YouTube changing their policies on things like mentioning voter, you know, election integrity, where for quite a while, just even the hint of any reference to any of it was enough to get you banned. But at least we've seen a little bit of a shift, you know, so. There is that I, but I, to me, it just seems like uh, almost all that, almost like that stuff is choreographed as well. Anyway, I'm going to queue up some other stuff and we'll be right back. Hello world. Are you awake?
uniting humankind by liberating millions of minds at a time. Maverick News. The world is watching. Christie's out, social media, volatility, censorship, all happening, hard to know everything's going to go, but I'll tell you, as Trump faces all his legal hurdles and the mainstream media and the establishment seem on the Republican side to be focused on DeSantis and Nikki Haley, there's the other guy who keeps making a bigger and bigger impression on me and I think probably on you and the general public, and that is Vivek Ramaswamy. Man, that guy is a sharp cookie. A lot. Some people say he's kind of like a young Trump. Yeah, but you know who he actually reminds me of more? And our American audience maybe can't relate to this, but to me... He's, he reminds me more of Pierre Polyev, the leader of the official opposition in Canada, leader of the Conservative Party of Canada. Those two guys have a really sharp wit. They're fast on their feet. They think. They're able to think quickly. They, they have, they're able to come back fast. They're just really really smart, very effective public speakers. And they are able to just kind of flip everything around on reporters who ask questions that uh, I don't want to, I don't want to insult the reporters. I'll just let Vivek handle them. Check this out. Look at the way he handles these reporters. If this is okay. And, uh, I'm just kind of curious on the, the previous question that you yeah. asked those four things that were provably false. Yes. Were in the, and I'm just kind of curious. I know some of these guys who've been following some of you guys. I'm curious if there's any national media who actually believe that they were that those that those were I'm, actually it's a good question, Eddie. So Eddie's a one of the you guys are colleagues, colleagues two of the top state reps here. And I think that that's a good a good thing to be curious about just by by show of hands who here is willing to admit that the trump russia collusion hoax 
was indeed incorrectly reported by the mainstream media. Is there anybody here able to admit that that was incorrect reporting? It wouldn't be really appropriate for us to answer the question. Why not? Why would that be inappropriate? I think it would be inappropriate. What's inappropriate is lying to the public. We're, just, we're doing our job. Well, the public lied to the media report on their set of facts that were provided. So, I, so that's, that's a fair question. I actually think that the public was lied to long after the media systematically still understood that this was the product of the Steele dossier. The Steele dossier was a piece of Russian disinformation provided by the Hillary Clinton campaign that was served up to the federal government as a basis for issuing a FISA warrant to then potentially infiltrate a member of the opposition party. If this was Bush and Cheney doing it to John Kerry, this would have been the stuff of scandal, impeachment and worse. And yet I think it was an intentional lie that the media said that that account, which we now know to be true, was actually the Russian disinformation. Now, Shauna, I would be charitable in my interpretation of that if it were just one instance. Let, let me give an easier one. Just by show of hands, does anybody believe the media's reporting about the origin of COVID-19 ran flatly in face of the facts that you have a Wuhan Institute of Virology that was now the likely origin of the COVID-19 pandemic. You all said that it wasn't for a long time. By show of hands, was the Wuhan lab the likely origin of the COVID-19 pandemic? Everybody, media or not? So, so you have reported, the same media that has reported that the COVID-19 pandemic did not originate in a lab in Wuhan is willing to even say... Unwilling to admit today. Before it came out in 2023, so I guess it was known that there was a Wuhan Institute of Virology where they were conducting gain-of-function research, the very city which was the origin of a global pandemic, and yet the media's explanation was that somehow it could have been any source other than actually having started in the lab. I just think that that's systematic, systematically unacceptable. The Hunter Biden laptop is the Hunter Biden laptop story, as reported by the New York Post, which was shut down had the Twitter account locked for anybody who is even sharing the story of the Hunter Biden laptop found on the eve of the last election. The media reported that it was Russian disinformation on the eve of that election. Does anyone here agree that the Hunter Biden laptop story as reported by the New York Post was indeed accurately reported and was not Russian disinformation, but was in fact a factually owned laptop of Hunter Biden? I mean, you, you got to, man. I mean, you, your paper reported it. <laughs> Does anybody, does everybody else seriously not believe that? I mean, I believe so, that Hunter Biden is suing Rudy Giuliani over the laptop, so I don't think so. So you don't believe, so you think that it actually was the product of Russian disinformation, as was reported by the media, that was the basis for suppressing this at the time? For the Hunter Biden case, yeah. I'm not sure why we're talking about that. Because it was election interference on the eve of the last election. And I think there's the same kind of election interference happening this time around. And I think it's happening, the early waves of it, with respect to the treatment of my candidacy. And I think that that is likely to be a major problem heading into the next year, unless we're able to open and openly and transparently acknowledge the mistakes of the past. Without acknowledging the mistakes of the past, I think we are destined for an even more dangerous future. And I do not want to see a repeat of what happened in the 12 to 15 months leading up to January of 2021. I don't want to see that in this country. And I worry we're on a path to far worse than that until we have accountability 360 degrees for the mistakes that were made in that lead up. And the Hunter Biden laptop story and its suppression, Shauna, 
I do believe was a key part of the lead up to that. I think the suppression of the origin of COVID and the origin of the pandemic was a key part of the lead up to what happened in January of 2021. I think that the systematic suppression of speech in this country, even about debating the lockdowns, was a key part of what culminated in January 6, 2021. And as somebody who's looking to lead this country and hopefully, dare I say, reunite this country, I think it is critical, it is vital to the future of this country that we not repeat those same mistakes. And yet that's exactly what I'm seeing play out in slow motion, hiding in plain sight. And so it's my concern for this country that leads me to run for U.S. president. It's my concern for this country that causes me to raise what aren't some ancient issues to be swept under the rug. I think that history is relevant to what's happening today. So the question I have is, is Vivek Ramaswamy going to be Trump's running mate? Or is he positioned, being positioned to replace Trump if Trump, for legal reasons, is prevented from running? Or is there something else going on? Because it just, as I've said several times over the last few weeks, there's something going on with Vivek. Like he, he's got momentum. There's something going on behind the scenes with him. And I'll tell you, I, I like him more and more and more when he sits there and talks like that. That is not prepackaged talking points coming out. That's him freewheeling. That's off the top of his head. He is clearly just speaking his mind. And that's pretty impressive stuff. He's also bold. He's taken bold stands, challenging all the other, all of his rivals, all of Trump's rivals to remove themselves from ballots in states where Trump might be prevented from being on ballots in these primaries. I, I think that's pretty bold stuff saying if Trump can't be on the ballot, I'll, re I'll just remove myself from the ballot and all the other candidates should as well, which really kind of makes sense to me because if all the candidates refuse to participate, then it, it, it undermines the entire effort to really manipulate the electoral process and, and politicize the, the legal system using lawfare to essentially prevent Donald Trump from running and giving people the choice, right? So uh, bold stuff. And, uh, I'd say original thinking. This is the kind of stuff that I'm not seeing coming from any of the other candidates. I'd say Nikki Haley misfiring on all cylinders, sputtering along. DeSantis not living up to his promise. I mean, not saying that he's broken promises. I mean, just not living up to his potential. You know, I think he honestly has done a pretty good job in Florida as the governor did some things down there that I thought were pretty impressive, especially during the pandemic. But during this campaign, just has not been able to get the traction. Also, I don't have this story queued up, but 
I was reading that um, Canadian politicians, I believe Canada's health minister, criticizing DeSantis and the Florida government because <laughs> they, Florida wants to buy more pharmaceuticals from Canada because they can get them a lot cheaper here than they would if they were purchasing them in the United States. And that is because the Canadian government manipulates the price. They artificially cap it. And so it would cost, it costs about 46% less for the same drugs in Canada versus what it would normally cost in Florida. So DeSantis wants to buy, order more of these pharmaceuticals from Canadian suppliers, but Canada, the Canadian government is coming out and saying, well, that's a terrible thing. And uh, they're raiding our pharmaceutical supply and we won't stand for it. I don't know why they can't accommodate that. If um, I would say it's an opportunity to domesticate production, produce more pharmaceuticals in Canada, ramp up production, create more jobs and, uh, and sell them to Florida if that's what they want at lower prices so that it benefits the, the people down there with lower pharmaceutical prices, cheaper healthcare and creates jobs over here. So it's a win-win in my view, but, Maybe I don't know all of the, 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 the ins and the outs and the numbers. It becomes complicated because the government of Canada is manipulating the price, price controls in place on those pharmaceuticals. But I think on the U.S. side, the prices are inflated. And that's because of, uh, you know, that's for other reasons. And I don't want to comment too much more on that story because I really want more information so that I can speak really intelligently about it because I have to admit, I don't really know what all of the, um, all the particulars are, what the details are surrounding those price controls in Canada. And I'm not sure how the system exactly is set up in Florida for those pharmaceuticals. There must be some nuance as well between different types of drugs and what the, uh, the pricing schedules would be and regulations. So we got all that going on. What else do I have for you? Well, we have this situation with uh, in New York with the uh, illegal immigrants coming in and being housed now in school gymnasiums. As a result, you are seeing these kids and school canceled in some neighborhoods because they bust in these migrants, had no place to put them. So they had to put them up in these schools. And people are outraged. Here's what it looked like last night. How does it feel that you kicked all the kids out of school tomorrow? How does it feel? You feel good? 
Something is seriously wrong. What else is there to say? I mean, that, that's it just isn't right. Here's Ron DeSantis laying into this issue. There we go. I think it's disgraceful. I mean, just think about it. You're a parent in the Bronx. Was it Brooklyn or the Brooklyn? You're a parent in Brooklyn. It's a lot. You probably got a lot of single moms who are putting who are the breadwinner, so they've got to work during the day. Your kids, you, your kids are supposed to go to school, and then someone tells you, "Sorry, uh, your kids have to stay home." Why? Was there some type of real significant storm or some some emergency? Was there a flu outbreak? Well, why are they having to stay home? They're having to stay home because the state government is commandeering or the city government is commandeering the school to house illegal aliens. You talk about putting Americans last, you're having these kids, you're depriving these kids of in-person education to be able to house people that don't have a right to be here uh, to begin with. That's Joe Biden's America in a nutshell. Uh, so I think it's disgraceful that that's happening. But I think this, um, you know, when I'm president, this immigration stuff, we're building a big consensus in this country because, you know, some of these areas in New York City, these are very liberal voters usually, but they they are almost all of them saying this can't go on like this. You can't just have schools overtaken, hospitals overrun, uh, people coming in. We don't even know who they are. So by this has been one of Biden, probably the biggest failure, just simply because he has more control over this. Uh, there's certain things president may not have direct control over. He, he is causing this. Uh, he could stop it, and he's choosing not to stop it. You want to Straight up. Disgraceful. What about the kids in their school, man? Like, you know, as I've said many times, uh, what it comes down to with these politicians is I'm less concerned about – my, my main concern is who's picking up my garbage. Okay, who's picking up my garbage? My garbage got picked up today. It was out on the street, and I'm like, okay, I did my job. I got the bucket out by the curb, and it got picked up. Now, next time there's an election, that's the question. Who wants to pick up my garbage? It's job interview time, right? The government is there to provide basic services. That's what they're there for. 
school, public schools, that's one of the services that they promise to provide. And if they can't do that because they're allowing people from other countries to pour into the country in such numbers that they actually have to put these people into school gymnasiums and shut the schools down, they're not doing their jobs properly. This is out of control, and we're seeing similar kinds of problems develop here in Canada. We're seeing big problems over in Europe. The immigration issue, it's catching fire. It's, it's, it's going to get hotter and hotter throughout 2024. You're going to see more protests in the streets. I think you're going to see rising unrest, probably violence. And I hope I'm wrong, but I don't think I am. And what I'm seeing in the streets is even with this, these pro-Palestinian protests, these pro even Hamas protests, you know, I'm seeing a lot of the same actors that we, we see all along. A lot of the people from the left out in the streets that we saw during things like the Black Lives Matter protests. I'm seeing faces in some of these videos, honestly, that are people that I'm pretty sure are associated with Antifa. And they're in there with these, these big pro-Palestine protests. Uh, we're going to see more in the, in the weeks ahead. This, this, that's an issue that's not going away anytime soon. And it's all connected. Those protests, the immigration, what we're seeing going on in these schools, and the elections, 100%. Absolutely all connected. Okay, stick with me. More around the corner. Greetings, brave mavericks. Our quest for truth continues. We go beyond fake news. Together we expose propaganda. Together we pull others out of rabbit holes. We are maverick thinkers. We are all unique individuals, individuals, defenders of individual rights and freedoms. Credible, trusted, grounded in reality. Maverick News, Maverick News. Defending free speech, free speech. Donate at freedomreporters.com. Do it now. Tomorrow. Maybe too late. Too late. Too late. Too late. Maverick News. The world is watching.
Maverick News. The world is watching. And it just keeps uh, getting weirder and worse. Leo just sent me uh, a link to a story that's developing about the city of Toronto. Speaking of picking up the garbage, that's what the municipalities are supposed to do. Well, they recently had a by-election to elect a new mayor in Toronto because the previous mayor, John Tory, who was all about lockdowns and seemed to be, uh, you know, all in on that authoritarian kind of stuff, uh, John Tory got caught up in a little bit of a scandal with one of his uh, staffers, female. So he resigned, and then by-election held. Now we have a new mayor, Olivia Chow. Socialist, lefty, uh, was married to the former NDP, New Democratic Party leader, Jack Layton, also socialist. It's like these people, I don't know how they managed to balance their own checkbooks at home tonight the city of toronto is bracing for a 10.5 percent tax hike this coming as olivia chow's first budget as mayor is unveiled this is a proposed budget at this point not approved yet but she's looking at a 10.5% property tax increase. It's, if that isn't a record, uh, I don't know. It's got to be pretty darn close. Certainly one of the biggest in decades. She says that the roads in Toronto are crumbling. The public transit needs serious improvements. Thousands of people are sleeping in shelters, parks, and on the street. Yeah, no kidding. The city is failing to provide the basics. We have to get the city... Back on track, she says, we have to fix the things that are broken. The city's in a financial mess. No kidding. Let me see what I can uh, bring up here. See if I can get you a clip of Olivia Chow talking about this. Crazy stuff, man. Ten and a half percent. People can't afford this. You know, here in, in my hometown, they're looking at a pretty substantial tax hike, too, on property taxes. There's some pretty serious issues here locally. And that isn't just the result of um, downloading of um, governmental costs from senior levels of government to um, lower levels of government municipalities by the province and so on. Trying to get you a clip here of, um, see if we got a clip of her. Well, I don't have 
this point. I knew it was going to get bad. Here we go. Here we go. I've got her now. Here's Olivia Chow. And when I hear 10.5%, I don't live in Toronto, but I'm still saying, ow. Ow. Here's Olivia Chow. Oh A harder place to live. Our roads are crumbling, and our public transit needs serious improvements. Thousands of people are sleeping in shelters, parks, and on the street. The city is failing to provide the basics like washroom in public parks. On top of that, I inherited a budget shortfall of $1.8 billion. It's a huge financial mess. We have to get the city back on track and we have to fix the things that are broken and the financial mess. Today was the first step of the process. City staff and the budget chief presented the staff budget this morning. I want to thank them for their hard work to protect and improve city services, plus finding the $600 million of reductions and offsets. This is not the final budget. Over the coming weeks, the budget committee will review the staff budget. The committee will build on the public consultation process that they started in the fall. They will be conducting meetings across Toronto and listening to the people of Toronto. I will have multiple telephone town halls next week to hear from local residents. I will be listening very closely to Torontonians about what matters to them. And then on February 1st, I will introduce my budget, the mayor's budget. It will reflect what we've heard and it will come to the city council for a final decision on February 14th. Let's work together. Fix this financial Valentine's mess. Valentine's Day. It'll Get be the Toronto same Valentine's Day budget So that master. we could together build a city that's more affordable, caring, and safer where and everyone And more belongs. in debt. And more unaffordable than Any, ever. Um, I think um, someone's going to help deal with the questions. Or no, the... I mean, can I just ask <laughs> you on that? During the campaign, you talked a lot about modest property tax increase being needed for the city. Is this Sorry. a modest property tax increase? Yeah, you I'll just, okay. Um, this is the staff budget. Uh, Shirley Carroll, our budget chief, have worked very hard in the last couple of months together with our staff uh, to come up with this budget. Uh, you will see my budget on February 1st. And I think it's important to listen to the people of Toronto. And I look forward to them participating. Already over 11,000 Torontonians have said to us what matters. And I know many of many more 
will participate, especially those telephone town halls. I expect, I expect tens of thousands of them. There are multiple ones. I think there's at least four telephone town halls. So, so are you hoping that you can get the number down by the time you have this final process between? Well, we'll see what people say to us. I do not want to predict uh, what I would be hearing. And I just do know that I did not create this financial mess, but it needs to be fixed. We need to get the city back on track. This morning when I was coming down from where I lived, down on Kensington Market, on Kensington Road. The road was so crumbling. It was so full of potholes. It was just very difficult. Still have a proposed 10.5% budget. Can, can residents afford that? Um, do you want no, to, they can't afford well, that. Well, uh, I know 10.5% uh, is uh, unacceptable. Mr. Chief will answer that question. I do know that there are. No, enough. Enough, 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 enough. Ten and a half percent. Freaking ridiculous. Vote for me. We'll have a modest property tax increase. She gets into office. Ten and a half percent. She'll she'll table some final numbers on the first. Well, not final numbers, but she'll table her budget on the first after public consultations. We already know now 10.5% in Canada's largest city. Property tax increase proposed. And then they'll vote February 14th, at which point, oh yeah, baby, look for it. The St. Valentine's Day Toronto budget massacre. News. The world is watching. I'm back, and this is a story we told you about first. It's got to be two weeks ago, three weeks ago. Back in the news today, this labeled as an exclusive update from Daily Mail. High-end sex ring in Boston and D.C. areas was a honeypot scheme by Russia, China, South Korea, or even Israel to ensnare U.S. officials. Intelligence experts believe. So we did tell you about this. If you think the Jeffrey Epstein scandal is isolated, think again. This is kind of like uh, the oldest trick in the book, especially for foreign governments trying to entrap, control officials from other governments to get state secrets. Who knows what all the motivations are, but um, let's take a look at this story. 
they're now, you know, it has developed. And what do we know about it? What's the current information on it? Um, the investigators looking into this now believe that a network, that this is all part of a network of high-end brothels that were operating in Boston and Washington, D.C. areas. And they say that they, these places were basically a honey trap to ensnare politicians and government officials, put them into compromising positions, have pictures taken secretly, and so on, so that you can essentially blackmail them. Says your intelligent experts are becoming increasingly convinced that six these six high end brothels were masterminded by potentially a forty one year old South Korean woman targeting politicians, high ranking government officials, and defense contractors. But it still remains something of a mystery because they have not been able to determine, or at least they're not revealing publicly yet. Which country was behind the scheme? Russia, China, Korea, or maybe Israel? But they're pretty much convinced that that's what was going on here, that it was foreign governments, you know, operating these things with people working as a front for them. It's not that you've got, you know, the CIA in there doing this. You've got foreign actors, foreign governments using these operations. And these are like ads, as you can see here, with Tiffany and Yoko DDD. I wonder what the DDD stands for. It's a mystery in itself, isn't it? says here in the caption, the lingerie and bikini-clad models advertised on the brothel's website included Yoko and Tiffany, who were offered as a duo for photographers looking for a modeling twosome. Lays out the locations here. There were three units at 90 Fawcett Street. We had actual video in our last report of some of these locations. 87... New Street, Unit 206, Cambridge, Massachusetts. 77, New Street, Unit 210, Cambridge. 66, Bond Street. Unit 221 in Watertown. And it goes on. Six locations targeted by investigators. And then you had um, D.C., Virginia, area brothel locations, two of them. Says here, Joshua Levy, the acting U.S. attorney for the state, said his office will seek accountability for the buyers who fuel the commercial sex industry. There was no evident motive to establish two cat houses in the greater Washington area, sources noted emphatically. None of the three defendants live anywhere near the Capitol. And sex workers are flown in from Los Angeles or Las Vegas. Han Lee, the alleged mastermind, Jummy Young Lee, 30, and James Lee, 68, all South Korean-born U.S. nationals were charged back in November with running the sex ring, 
three Lees are not related. And we told you about it back then when those charges were laid. The um, the rates for these this place, these places were about $600 per hour. And the clients included apparently corporate executives, professors, lawyers, and scientists. Doesn't that sound familiar? Doesn't that sound a lot like, um, I mean, look at the names coming out from the Epstein scandal. Same basic scenario. And I was drawing your attention the other night to some of those academics and scientists who went to Epstein Island for that big mind shift conference. You see, to me, what I see going on is foreign governments using these kinds of operations, putting people like Epstein up front, but they're just a tool, a mechanism, a means to an end. They're facilitating all of this, making it work. But Epstein wasn't the guy at the top. People above. Same with these operations right here. And why would he have a mind shift conference? Because they. it was all about Look at Epstein's background associated with international financiers, armed international arms dealers. These were the guys that he was doing business with. And then through Epstein Island and his plane and other locations, even within the United States and operations like this one here, operating on U.S. soil, like continental U.S., you, you're, you're luring in these politicians, defense contractors, academics who are doing research into things like psychological conditioning, use of social media to manipulate people online in a digital information warfare A era, experts in fifth generation warfare. Like, why would they care about the scientists? And why wouldn't they just? Because those are the guys who are developing the methods and perfecting the methods even of psychological manipulation online. Information warfare. It's an info war. You need those guys. You need to control them too. Not just the politicians and the people. You know, I'm just telling you. I'm telling you. And so here you are, and we've talked about this. It's not just Epstein, it's this too. Pretty crazy stuff. And then the um, Alaskan Airlines fallout continues. We saw that window blow out of that uh, aircraft grounding those jets. And here's Elon Musk posting online in response to that. And isn't this interesting? I mean, he becomes, seems to become more and more, I would say, conservative with a small C all the time. He posts on X, formerly known as Twitter, says, do you want to fly in an airplane where they prioritized DEI hiring over your safety. This is actually happening, he says. 
and he's talking about Boeing and their hiring practices in response to this post by somebody named James Lindsay. And here's, take a look at this hiring policy that Boeing has. It says here, 2022 changes to our program design. In early 2022, we made a number of modifications to our annual and long-term incentive programs for executives. Annual incentive plan. Our 2022 annual incentive plan will continue to be based on company financial and operational performance, business unit financial performance, and individual performance, but with an increased focus on operational goals. While our 2021 design incorporated operational performance in the areas of product safety, employee safety, and quality, for 2022, we will add two other focus areas critical to our long-range business plan. <laughs> Look at this. We're talking about aircraft safety and what are they worried about climate and diversity equity and inclusion d e and i ah the compensation committee has set goals to measure the degree of performance under each operational component but will consider both quantitative and qualitative results following the end of the performance period in determining whether the goal is being achieved blah 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 and then down here you can see circled under operational performance, product safety, employee safety, quality, climate, diversity, equity, and inclusion. So that's taking priority over there at Boeing. Again, it doesn't, um, doesn't make me feel very confident don't feel real good about climbing back into a plane at the moment. How is it that a window just blows out of the fuselage? They've uh, they got to get that under control, babies. Okay, so how about this dude? This guy here bought an electric vehicle. Let me uh, let me show you this. Okay. This is a CBC story involving a gentleman who purchased an electric vehicle and got more than he bargained for, or maybe less, depending on how you look at it. Certainly a bigger ultimate cost than he was ever planning for. He drives an electric truck in Yellowknife, it says here, but his home can't handle the charger it came with. So what's this all about? Well, he wanted to put a charger into his house for his new F-150 Ford Lightning pickup truck. So he paid to have that installed only to find out that this level two charger that he had installed in his home wasn't going to work because the transformer that feeds into his house was not adequate to handle the level two charger. So he had to spend another $12,000 to have the transformer feeding his house upgraded as well. So I can tell you from 
testing electric vehicles, having electric vehicles, that if you're trying to charge your vehicle with standard 110 electrical current, you'll be at it a long time. Uh, if you need to charge it from no charge to full, it could take days, <laughs> literally days. So you need, if you're going to own, if you're going to own a vehicle like that, you need access to at least a level two charger so that you can charge it overnight in a reasonable amount of time so that you can get to work or wherever you're going in the morning. But a lot of these things, um, this whole electrification of the auto industry, it is proving to be more of a challenge than our politicians, I think, are willing to admit. We've got some serious problems. The infrastructure, the electrical infrastructure is not there. It hasn't been upgraded or even properly maintained for decades anywhere. And to shift the energy load from gas stations all onto the electrical grid, it means, I think, folks, that we are looking at massive upgrades and improvements, just improvements all the way across the board to our electrical grid in order to accommodate the increased load. It's the only way. And that's, I don't know how much money, but I think what we're really looking at here in terms of the electrification of the auto industry is just the tip of the iceberg. Let's hope that this doesn't turn into an economic disaster. Well, friends, that gets us uh, close to the top of the hour. And with that, I'm going to wrap it up a little bit early here tonight. I appreciate everybody joining me, as always, here on the Maverick News Channel. Thank you, Maverick family. Um, a privilege, as always. I will be back tomorrow night, 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, with more information to defrag your mind. Love you guys. Catch y'all tomorrow night, 6 p.m. Eastern on the flip side. This has been a Maverick Multimedia Productions.